0: Welcome to episode 275 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Madness Metal, Susan, Catherine, Sharon, and Mary. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Madness Metal, Susan, Catherine, Sharon, and Mary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery.
1: Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the recovery show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life.
0: My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Kate C. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. And I asked you to choose a reading that is meaningful to you.
1: I'm going to start with a reading from Courage to Change. It is actually somewhat of a recent one, it is January 13th, page. 13. <laughs> al gives me great spiritual freedom because it encourages me to find a personal understanding of God and to allow others the same freedom. Until I could think of God in terms that were meaningful to me, I was not able to truly turn my life over to a higher power. My concept of God evolves. It changes and grows as I continue to change and grow. How wonderful it is. For now, I sense a higher power that is alive as I am. Never in my life did I dream of finding such a source of serenity, courage, and wisdom. There is a sense of unique purpose to my journey through life. I am the only one who can live it, and I need the help of the God of my understanding in order to live it fully. Grounded in faith, I can hold tight to my course and meet the future with confidence.
0: Thank you. Why does that speak to you? What prompted you to choose that one?
1: Um, you know, I think the reason why this reading is so dear to me, and it's funny because I was going to initially go with another one, but then I obviously read this a couple days ago, given that it's just January 16th. I think really the foundation of my recovery has been um, the connection with a higher power. I didn't. I didn't have that before. I mean, I was raised from early on in a fundamentalist Christian religion, actually Mormonism. So from early on, I was like taught how to experience God, how to connect with Him, all these things, and that God was a Him, right? Right. For me, obviously, that that just didn't really work, since you know what I went through and leaving the church and my parents' divorce, etc., and then coming to Al-Anon, I've been able to develop this spiritual connection with something so much greater than myself. And I don't really have defining terms for it or him or her or whatever. It's just a feeling I get when I connect with my higher power. And it's, I believe it's, it's truly what has made my life so wonderful today. Um, and the work I've put in an Allen on, but it really just coincides with this, the strength outside myself. That I can connect with
0: yeah. Well, thank you for that. So we're kind of coming at this a little bit sideways because now we're going to go back and start at the beginning. And actually, if you could introduce yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into your story.
1: Yeah. So I am Kate. I I guess we'll start from the beginning. So I was raised Mormon very early on. Um, my mother comes from a massive family of like thirty. Like, well, six siblings, and then each of her siblings had like five kids, and her and my dad had four, and I was one of them, and I was the middle child. Anyway, so I would say I had a really hard upbringing. Like, I mean, not in the sense that, I mean, some people have it a lot worse than I did, and that's for sure, but it was just not really a stable home. My parents fought a lot, and uh, early on when I was eight, I really don't have any memories of my childhood. I think partly because I blocked them out and just maybe I was pretty young, but my parents got divorced when I was eight and life before then really wasn't the best. I don't really remember, but I don't have a good feeling when I even think about it. And then life after my siblings and I were living with my mom for a little bit until my dad got custody of us four, which is quite rare because early in the, you know, 1990s sort of giving away my age there, (laughs) So um, that is, that's around the time my dad got custody of us four. And it's very uncommon that like a dad would get custody of four children. The youngest at the time, my little brother was five, but he did because of the circumstances of my mom. And I didn't really understand that then I obviously do now kind of, yeah. So I guess from like nine onwards, we went to live with my dad and I guess I, I just kind of grew up in a home where like even though I was living with my dad, who was deemed, you know, the more stable and fit parent, he wasn't he was, but he also had his his downfalls too, you know? Like he even though he was not an alcoholic, which my mom was, which I obviously didn't know then,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my dad was just very like stoic and quiet. And he almost had the the <laughs> like the isms of a dry drunk, which is interesting because he would, and who knows? I mean, I definitely think, you know, he has his isms and his his ways and we'll get there. But the point is, is that I remember being so young and, and, you know, nine, 10 and he would come home from work and we would hear, my siblings, I would hear like his footsteps on the, you know, the garage door opening and then him walking in with his business shoes and we'd be like, okay, that's home. Did we clean the kitchen? Did we do these things? And, and so I, I never really felt safe in my childhood because I was really scared of my dad. And then when we would visit my mom, she was always kind of like over the top and her emotions and my dad had like no emotions and so I really had this like extreme kind of back and forth of like okay so where how do I feel you know at certain ages I was obviously looking to my parents for certain things of what's okay what's not and I always got kind of these extreme one-sided answers and so I think that led to a lot of the extreme ways of thinking that I adapted early on just being raised that way. And then, I guess, my dad got remarried. He remarried a woman with the same name as my mom. (laughs) That's just a funny little side note.
0: (laughs) A little bit confusing, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Which everyone thought was kind of uh, weird. But anyways. And that was hard, too, because she has three kids. And so they all moved from British Columbia, which is the farthest west province in Canada, they moved to Alberta and they moved in with us. And my dad bought us a new house, seven kids and my dad and my stepmom, you know, there were moments that were kind of fun, like this huge kind of family feeling Brady Bunch. Like, yeah, for sure. It was kind of fun at times, but for the most part, it was, it was really hard to adjust. And, you know, not only were my siblings and I struggling, but you know, they were too. And I think this is where I really kind of like, took on this sense of over-responsibility, like in particular with my little brother. He's three years younger than me. And like, I'm still to this day, very, very close to him. But I, right away was almost like the two parents, dad and stepmom, kind of like, I mean, they just couldn't keep an eye on all of us. And I was, not that I was a bad kid. I was actually a terrified kid. So I would look after my little brother in the morning. I'd make him you know his toast, his lunch. and then I would literally pull him to school. Like, you know, in the winter, I'd put him in a little sleigh and I'd put like a blanket down in the sleigh and his mitts, and I'd be like, "Okay, let's go." And I always kind of just like looked out for him, and then that kind of led into my other siblings too, which was even though they were older, my sister and my older brother, I was always concerned with everyone's well-being. Just wanted everyone to be happy and safe and good and really no focus on myself whatsoever. So yeah, the isms, I guess, started early on, not really knowing it at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then then I became like a teenager and, you know, I, (laughs) whatever, like I made friends and I never really had a problem making, making friends. That was kind of easy for me. I was always kind of like this, clown kind of like funny, silly girl. And that was kind of my like way of, I think, kind of hiding and deflecting from just the difficult upbringing because in the meantime, during you know living with my dad, we would visit my mom and she was never good. Like she would cry <laughs> almost every time we were with her multiple times. And I have memories of her like drinking around my little brother and I But I I can't, like, quite make them out. But I just remember, like, her driving us home drunk and having this feeling of, like, okay, this can't be good. And so it was kind of like, I don't know, I'd experienced that on the weekend because we saw my mom on Sunday come home and try to have this, like, normal life in this huge house where... Never really felt like anyone was really zoned in on my, you know, not well-being. I mean, sure, the basic needs, but, like, just emotionally and whatever. And then being at school, trying to just, you know, be this, like, kind of funny, silly girl and make friends. And I think teachers kind of knew what was going on. I mean, not that anything serious, but I think they knew from the history. And You know, my siblings and I had to be like, uh, what's the word? we had to have like these required visits with my mom. And and so I think teachers from elementary kind of into junior high school knew just about the family issues. I mean, I did relatively well in school. Like I got pretty good grades. I was never really a big partier. And it's funny because like I realized now why I was, <laughs> wasn't. I was really afraid of, of alcohol. Like I had this, and I think it's from early on seeing my mom drink and just how it would how um she would be with it or or while drinking i completely was afraid of it and i um i didn't like drinking it i didn't like letting go of control it was like anything like you know some friends were experimenting with with drugs or you know just what have you nothing serious but kind of things of that i guess normal teenagers do and i was too scared to do any of it because i'm like No, like what if I die or something and you know I mean I'm kind of grateful now I had that reaction given alcoholism in my family it's good I you know didn't go the other way but it was still an extreme reaction I just I could not I was so afraid of, of letting go and so I guess the ways that I would let go is through acting and when I was 19 I went to acting school in Vancouver that was a really interesting time of life too, because I was first time I was on my own. And you know, the great thing about my dad is that even though he couldn't emotionally really support us financially, that was his way of, of being there for us. And my dad is a very, um, to this day, a very wealthy man comes from a, you know, a very wealthy kind of affluent family in in Calgary where I grew up. And so I guess we kind of seemed normal in that way because we had that, um, we had that in our family kind of. Um, and in my mom's family too is, you know, well off, I guess in their own way, but, but yeah, so that was his way of, I guess, supporting us always. So I wanted to go to acting school in Vancouver. Well, my dad just paid for it. And then he paid for my place in Vancouver. And so I went and you know, like lucky me, that's great. <laughs> but I don't think emotionally at 19, I was ready to go there or do what I did because, Being in acting school was very intense for me, and I don't know if you've heard much about acting school, but they tend to really try to rip away your barriers. Mm. Yeah. So that you can very readily access emotions for certain characters that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's weirdly kind of like therapy in its own way. Um, I really dove into that process, but I didn't handle it too well because partly I think because I, there was no kind of putting back together at the end of class. Mm, mm. <laughs> and also for me, it was like, I dove in and I, I was never really afraid to like feel the intense emotions and all these things. And I think that process of like really getting into um characters and feelings almost kind of scared me of myself. I'm like, wow, Like you know, it it was the way that I could let go, but it was too much for me. After, you know, about a year and a half, I ended up kind of, I ended up having a bit of a breakdown. I went to the hospital and I was kind of nothing serious in terms of like, I mean, it was definitely mental health issues, but I recovered, you know, pretty quickly, I guess. And my my dad came and got me and then took me back to Calgary and then sent me back to Vancouver and was like, you are going to finish acting school. I don't care what happened. I don't care if, you know, anything, you have to complete this goal. And I'm like, okay. So my dad really made, like, a lot of my decisions for me. And even when he saw me in Vancouver at the time, he's like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. (laughs) You know, I really didn't feel like I was, but that was his way, I think, of, like, making us better was just telling us you're fine. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and somehow believing it. Okay, my dad thinks I'm fine. I guess I am. Yeah, after that, I moved back to Calgary after school. I was going to stay in Vancouver and act, but I, I really didn't want anything to do with acting after that. So I um, <laughs> came back to Calgary and I thought, okay, I'm going to get a normal degree <laughs> like most people and just go to university. And I did that, which was um, which was good. I went to school a bit of it in Southern Alberta at a college there. And then I went back to the uh, West coast in Victoria, BC, and I finished my undergrad there in communications. And during that time in my life, I was around, I think 21 to 24, you know, those were some, some good times in my life. I mean, even though I was not really, you know, healthy and theisms were running wild and free. Um, I, I was away from my family, which kind of helped. But then my mom and I, just going back to my mom, mm-hmm. we always were contacting like one another throughout the day. So even though my mom drank and kind of has her own issues. She always, I guess one thing about her I didn't mention is she has this like wonderful personality in terms of humor. Like she's so funny. And during the day is when she doesn't drink or didn't then. And so, um, you know, even early in the evening too, she wouldn't be drunk. And so we would just talk and laugh and I would tell her all my stories about school and guys. And I kind of thought my mom was like wonderful because we grew up with my dad and he was really scary. And I, I always was like, I didn't want to live with dad. And so I kind of just like had this fantasy like idea about my mom and, and how great she was. Even though I remembered the, the kind of bad memories, I still, I guess children kind of idealize the parent they were never raised with. know.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. So I realized that, like, her and I had like, a really, uh, codependent relationship. I really, you know, if I didn't hear from my mom, I would struggle, like, just, I guess, little things. Like, if, if I knew that, you know, if, if she was up late one night, um, cause I saw on social media or whatever, if I didn't hear from her the next day, it was really hard for me because I would go worst case scenario. Okay. Did she, like, drink too much? okay, like what happened and always this train of um, thinking that was like worst case scenario, um, catastrophizing and obsessing, obsessing, obsessing. And so like really I wouldn't hear from her and then I would be like, okay, really couldn't do much until I did. I mean, I would try to put my focus on other things, but I couldn't have this sense of comfort or reassurance or safety until I heard from my mom and she was like, and always I would hear from her, you know, it usually wouldn't be until like the next day.
0: And you're, you're several hundred miles away at this point, right? Yeah. I don't have yes. a good picture how far away these cities are, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty far away. Like I'm time zone wise, I'm only one hour behind, but, um, Victoria is Vancouver Island and then Calgary's is in Alberta, so. Yeah, I'm qu- I'm pretty far. You'll have to take a ferry from the island. I would have to oh, yeah. back to the mainland and then drive for
0: probably like 16 hours. Yeah. Oh, that okay. That is a long ways. Yeah, like through
1: the mountains. <laughs> through the mountains, <laughs> yes.
0: Okay, so. so I got that picture. So, so you're worried about your mom, but mm-hmm. you can't go check on her. No. You can't go see her. You can't go say, oh, she's okay. Um, you just have to wait for the phone call.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's this feeling, especially when you're so far away, I think it's this feeling of like, like just this urgency, like just call me, like just, and so I would check, okay, she was last on social media, like oh, 16 hours ago on Facebook and, you know, and then I'd reach out to my siblings. Hey, have you heard from mom, Hey, and you know, my siblings either wouldn't get back to me or they'd be like, actually, no, I haven't. And I never got that answer I needed. And, Till eventually, like the next day or something, and then that night falling asleep, I would, I would just kind of force myself. Okay, stop. She's fine. Go to sleep. But even if, if I'd wake up in the night, you know, to get some water, I would look. Did she email me? Did she call? So always kind of worried about her. Eventually, I would hear from her, and and it would be fine, right? She'd be like, "Oh, honey, I just, you know, I was." I was just out or I went to sleep early. And another thing with my mom, which is obviously a very strong trait of alcoholics is like, she constantly lied. So, I mean, I never really knew what the truth was. I was just really just happy to hear from her. So like at that point I I didn't care, but really developed this like unhealthy uh, need to kind of make sure that those close to me are okay. Um, And I think it stemmed with my mom. And then I sort of saw that kind of manifest in other relationships, particularly like my siblings, like my little brother, the one that I kind of have this like over, like I feel like I'm his mother kind of. I <laughs> I was the same way with him um, if I didn't hear from him, which is just so silly because sometimes people just don't get back to you for a couple of days, but that just couldn't, I couldn't like, this wouldn't make sense to me in my mind, you know? And I worry and worry and worry. And, um, they always seem to be fine when I would talk to them. They'd be like, Oh yeah, I didn't call you, you know, my brother. Oh, I didn't call you back because of this. My brother's not an alcoholic, but he, um, like my mom, obviously, but he, he isn't the most, like he is now kind of, but he wasn't the most stable back then. So he would kind of, I don't know, just do kind of extreme things. And again, I was just always so worried about everyone else. Like, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> no focus on myself whatsoever and as soon as i got word from others then i was okay i guess where that led me is after i graduated university i moved back to calgary It's 24 at this point and i moved in with my sister my sister's older than me she's two years older so basically i got the older brother then an older sister then me then my younger brother moved back uh, to Calgary and moved in with her. My little brother was in Vancouver at the time. And then my dad and parents were still in Calgary and along with my mom, this was like a good year being 24 into 25. But it was also like, it was the kind of the year that was leading to my bottom, I guess uh, you could say, but it, you know, there were some good things about it too. And basically living with my sister was, um, was one of them, but it was also really hard because my sister, you know, out of all of us siblings, I would say is the most was the most at the time likely to become an alcoholic. I guess you know, children have different reactions. Mine was always terrified of alcohol. My little brother kind of took on my reaction, I think, or from what he saw when we were with my mom too. he he doesn't like to drink or whatever. My older brother, yeah, he's kind of responsible and, you know, drinks, but not very, very much. But my sister, um, kind of would go over the top and she reminded me a lot of my mom in that way. I'm still, still does to this day. And so living with her was hard because A, we're really close in age. So we kind of just like fought over clothes and guys. And B, because she really wanted to party and socialize all the time. And I was 24 turning 25 and I'd never really done that. Like, Even in university back in Victoria, you know, I had like a a best friend that I met there and we would just like, you know, go to bed at like 11 Mm -hmm. and we would just go and get tea and walk around Parliament or the ocean. We never, I never really did crazy kind of party things, but my sister was really into that and she's really into like status and kind of material things. So when I was living with her, you know, she was really like, okay, Caitlin, like we're going to go out and we're going to do this and you're going to buy this outfit. And in a way it was kind of like fun. Cause I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I don't really do these things, but in another way it was kind of going against what I really felt inside. Like, I don't know what I wanted to do. Like I didn't feel safe doing these things. That was always my first reaction It's like, okay, out of the comfort zone, I don't feel safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Like I ended up going out with her and, you know, we would come home at 2am and I <laughs> did you not would go to the washroom and like pour out my drink and cuz she would always keep tabs like come on are you drinking that we bought that for you like an hour ago you know i couldn't really say no to her cuz it was like well what what why wouldn't you drink so i would kind of pretend to and whatever and then by the you know end of the night we'd come home and we'd have like a just a you know i don't know like a quarter left of a bottle of wine and she would open the fridge and chug it and i'd be like but why did you do that? Like we're going to bed. And she would be like, so whatever. Like she always kind of had this like party girl attitude, but (laughs) always kind of like, whatever, like it's, why wouldn't I? That always made me kind of worry about her because then, you know, she always had something with a guy and unfortunately the guy wouldn't get back to her. Who knows? And I would hear her like crying in her room. And I just remember going to sleep being like, Oh, like this does not feel good inside. And so I started worrying, you know, about her a lot. But then as well, I kind of I didn't know how to say no to her. So I did kind of take on the party lifestyle of it, but really never changing um, the drinking thing. Like I never I mean I drank, but I as soon as I felt like any sense of tipsiness or any form that could potentially lose control, I would stop. Um, I couldn't really couldn't go past that point. Whereas my sister like went far past it. So yeah, I mean, we had some, some good times, some really, really bad fights. And meanwhile I was, you know, back in Calgary. And so I was visiting my mom, mm-hmm. um, in person now and nothing much had changed with her. You know, she's, um, so my mom lives off the government, was still drinking, still smoking weed. And, really doesn't have a social life, really just in the evening calls her her close family and her her kids and makes jokes and goes to bed. Um, That's really her life. And so I just go and visit her and it would be okay. But the thing about my mom that I guess I didn't really get into yet is that if and when I spend time with her, if I said something that was the truth of how I really felt like commenting on her life or the drinking or you know she didn't really have the best hygiene habits which is funny because like my mom pre kind of becoming an alcoholic I guess living with or married to my dad was very beautiful and took such good care of herself and was just kind of this like proud lady and she clearly lost like all of that like alcohol you know demoralizes you and I could really see it happening with her um and whenever I tried to say those things, it was like I always got this terrible reaction from her. And I was always terrified of her reaction, so I always just kept my mouth shut and just kind of played games <laughs> and just laughed. And, you know, we would we'll talk about boys and just keep it nothing too real. But if by chance I said what I thought, because I am pretty good at that, even though I was fearful of her reaction, I would always, always come home And I knew that I would get some terrible email from my mom when she was drunk. Mm. You know, stating, you have no respect for me. How could you say this? And just, you know, really put me down. Think of really traumatic things that happened to me and comment on them. And just just like really horrific emails. And it's funny because I would get these emails and rather than being angry at her, I actually took on the reaction of like oh my gosh, mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I just want to make sure that you're okay. You know, like I, Mm -hmm. I didn't care about my, my needs or how I felt or the fact that like, I read these emails and they were so sad and, you know, hurt me. I just, I didn't care. I just was like, mom, I'm so sorry. Please, please, please forgive me. And she wouldn't. And so she wouldn't talk to me for like two weeks. And then I would do, you know, I don't know, Two weeks would go by and I guess her, you know, she would change her mind, and then I was like her best friend again. And so I really started to get into this pattern of like up, down, like, oh I love you. One day you're the best daughter in the world. Oh, the next, you know, you're terrible, awful, and just kind of like just just the highs and lows, I guess, of <laughs> the roller coaster of alcoholism. And I was totally riding it because I didn't know any other way to really live <laughs> or communicate or interact with her. And so, yeah, and then I guess what I want to call the good part, kind of, is I was so 25 now, um, still living with my sister, and... I met this guy really briefly and um, and I didn't think too much of it at the time because I was kind of dating someone in a different city, but nothing serious. But it was funny because I kept bumping into him and bumping into him in the street. <laughs> and I lived downtown with my sister and, you know, so people walk everywhere. Anyways, long story short, we kept bumping into each other and, um, finally we chatted after like a few times and he basically asked me to dinner and he told me that he was recovering alcoholic (laughs) and it's like oh go go figure (laughs) I totally attract that guy (laughs) like you know most of us or whatever (laughs) but the good thing was is that he he didn't drink you know Uh, or he told me like I I don't drink I'm in the program and he told me that right away and I had no, like, that, that didn't matter to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. And he seemed really serious about it. And I just got this really warm and really, you know, kind uh, vibe from him. And so the first night he took me out to this wonderful restaurant and he ordered me a bottle of wine, <laughs> thinking like, okay, I don't even drink. But I didn't say that. So I was having a little bit. And then throughout the night I'm like, by the way, like I don't really drink. He's like, oh, like I didn't know. I thought, you know, I you know, thought you lived downtown, maybe you party, you might want to drink. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I don't really. And so um that was kind of I think a relief for him and, mm-hmm. and a relief for me. And so anyways, um, long story short, um, that guy like pretty much instantly became like my boyfriend. And turns out we lived on the same street, which is why we kept bumping into each other. <laughs>
0: yep, yeah, makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, it was, it was great. I had such a, such a great feeling with him, and, kind of knew, I've always been an intuitive person, and I think it's my, my higher power, always kind of being, in my life, um, is that I've always kind of had these feelings, and sometimes they're strong, and, with him, I just had this feeling like, okay, I think this is going to be the guy I'm going to marry. Being a writer, I, I wrote that, the night after our first date, I came home and I I wrote, um, yeah, something about this guy. I just have this knowing that he's going to be the guy I marry. And you know, we got married last um, summer, but (laughs) anyways, (laughs) yeah, the first year of our relationship was so great, but at the same time it was not because I was really starting to spiral. Like, I could not trust him, and it was the first guy I dated that I really had to, who really wanted to see me, who wanted to be a part of my life, who wanted to know me, who wanted to get serious, and I, I could not trust him, and I didn't really know why, because I didn't have like you know other relationships that were really um, mistrustful, but I guess because I, I know now from the work I've done, just having the mom I had hour that I have and you know my dad as well um I I could not rely on either parent really for that security or safety so when he tried to give that to me I really um questioned it and I obsessed about you know where he was doing or what he was doing if you know he was you know, with other women, like just obsessing about things that were not even based in reality because I was so afraid to trust. And I was just trying to constantly create chaos, like so used to living in chaos that like he being in the program, being very dedicated was like, yeah, I just, you know, live this pretty down the mill, you know, this good life. And, and he was going to meetings and I loved what he shared when he would talk to me about it. But I was just, again, you know, a couple days would be good. And then I would create this huge fight and chaos. And then I'd need that, like, Oh, I love you again. And he was eventually after about a year, he got to a breaking point and was like, I can't like, I, I can't live like this. Like he's like for my own sobriety and safety. Like it's funny. I was the one, you know, even though I'm not the alcoholic, I was the one with my own kind of isms, like pretty much tearing up the relationship. So yeah, it came to a head and we had this um, pretty big fight And again, it was something about me uh, just questioning his behavior because he would tell me things like, I love you. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm always going to be honest with you. And he could say these things to me, but they wouldn't like, it's like they would hit my skin and bounce off. Like they never resonated in, in, inside. I'm grateful that he stayed with me because we um, took about a week apart and I went to my dad's house. I was pretty devastated. I knew it was my own doing. And I remember writing him being like, but you know, I thought we were never going to be the ones to leave each other. (laughs) And then I thought, but like, how can I make this guy stay with me? Look what I'm doing. And so I had this feeling, um, my stepmom, of all people, she said, well, why don't you go to an Al-Anon meeting? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I have no idea. But I think I was like, I think that's the right idea. I was like, maybe I'll be able to keep him that way. And so I went to the on meeting. And like most of us, I mean, I really was like, <laughs> I went there bawling my head off and my stepmom took me and I was just like, you know, I've my husband, my boyfriend is you know, an alcoholic and I need to figure out how I can live with him. And he has all this serenity and I need to figure out how to have that serenity for myself. Cause, cause he would share things like that with me, but he's a bit older than me. So like it, and I was 25, whatever. So it just didn't, didn't resonate. And so I made a commitment to myself, okay, I'm going to keep going. And so I told Derek, you know, I'm going to Al-Anon. I, I want to do work on myself for us in this relationship. And, and I guess that, like, once he heard that, because I guess, you know, he knew inside I'm, I was a really good person. I just, um, you know, was struggling with things from the past and learned behaviors and stuff. And so he gave me a chance and I um, I kept going in talent on. and I was so dedicated. And I knew that the only way to keep this guy was to do work on myself. And so within about a month, I got a sponsor. And I, um, I remember listening to her speak and just from across the meeting, the things she was saying, I just had this feeling, okay, go ask her. And I did. And turns out her partner, you know, is also a recovering alcoholic. So I didn't really know like much of, um, why she was there. I just knew what she said resonated and turns out we, you know, relate in many ways. And so I started going through the steps with her I still had outbursts, you know, I still had moments where I didn't trust, um, didn't trust him. And I questioned and I tried to create the chaos, but the good thing was that I had the awareness now and I could see my behavior and I could go to my sponsor and talk to her about it. And she would kind of, you know, give me a list of tools of what I can do. And then I would share them with Derek, my boyfriend at the time, and he would, you know, be that support for me. So it's like, all of a sudden I had all this kind of comfort around me to like explore why I was the way I was. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, I kept doing that. And I just noticed my life getting increasingly, increasingly better. And it's not that there weren't bad days. Cause like there were, there were some hard days, some days where Derek and I fought again, you know, due to, my own behavior, you know, maybe things he did, whatever. But I guess because of al and this new way of life and this too shall pass, I just had this sense of like, I will get through this and it will be okay. That mentality has, has definitely just amplified the more I work the program, the more I utilize the tools, the more I read the readings, the more I connect with my higher power you know, the other thing that's great is that it, it's helped me with my relationship with my mom. I mean, my life started to get really just so much better and, you know, everyone could see like, wow, she's, she's really happy. She's really maturing. And so shortly after my sister who living in Spain at the time, um, moved to Spain after Calgary, she started going to al and in Spain <laughs> and yeah, which is pretty cool for her. And she, um, you know, got a sponsor there and is going through the steps. I think it was partly because my mom was visiting her in Spain and my mom was drinking terribly. And so she had her own little incident with my mom and decided, well, I'd better go too.
0: (laughs) So had you talked to her about it? So that's how she knew about it? Or did she just know about it on her own?
1: Um, no, I, my sister and I, you know, are close. We've definitely butt heads, but I shared with her, you know, what was going on with me and I, I think that, you know, the attraction based on promotion, I mean, I was definitely kind of promoting it to my siblings because all of a sudden I could see like, you guys, we're so, this all makes sense now. (laughs) I don't like, listen to me, I know the answer.
0: (laughs) And how did, how did they react to that?
1: Well, my, um, my brothers were kind of like, no, (laughs) you're, you're crazy and annoying. Um, but my sister, she, at first, it was funny. She went to one meeting and she was like, mm, No, I don't know. I, I don't think that works for me. And I'm like, Okay, like, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. And then something else happened to my mom. And she was like, I don't know why, but I have this feeling that I should just go to a meeting again. And I'm like, Well, you should go. And so she did. And she kept going. And, you know, it's transformed her life too. Um, so it's it's really been a huge blessing for her too and so now um I have like a home group that I go to every Saturday morning and I have um a sponsee someone I sponsor and I have my own sponsor obviously and I don't know like it's not that the thing I I notice about life now is that like it's kind of like I notice the isms that I have and that were passed down through generation and generation, you know, over-responsibility, obsessing about other people, being, you know, for me, always just really fearful and putting others before me, you know, being really self-sacrificing. And I definitely took on the victim role and, you know, always wanted the award for like, oh, I had the hardest time. And, you know, especially being an actress, I could really play into it. And now I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, okay, you know, I can see those things in myself. And I think that that's where the program has really changed me the most. Obviously, I've done the work, but it's, it's like seeing the patterns of behavior that I was taught from early on, how to think, how to interact with others in the outside world. Now I can see those old patterns of thinking and I'm like, I can almost... Like I, I just I don't attach to them anymore. And I think now, cause I, you know, work my program and in every aspect of my life I really try, I think it's like I've created new ways of, of thinking. And so when the old instant reaction wants to come up, sometimes it does. I mean if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right, halt. But most of the time I can sit and be like you know, my sponsor always says to me, God is in the pause. And so if I want to react and the defect or just something I can stop and be like, no, don't. And obviously that doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot more now than the old reaction. And I feel like I kind of have this space between myself and my defects, like you know, I'm asking for them to be removed. For me, it's not like they're just poof gone. For me, it's like, the more I work my program, the more there's a space between me, the person, my higher power, I think wants me to be. And then the sick generation pattern of thinking that I was taught. And I think like the more I work my program, the greater that space gets to be from me and those old ways of thinking I think that's the greatest gift of all because it took time. You know, I was still pretty on autopilot, but the more use the tools, the bigger and bigger the space got. And now I realize, like, it is really my choice. You know, like how I how I react to someone or respond, how I think about certain things in my life. You know, like if I wake up and I'm in a crappy mood, I mean, I let myself feel what I feel. But I also acknowledge, okay, what's going on with your thoughts? Yeah, they're pretty negative right now. Yeah, I'm really focused on someone's behavior, resentment. And then I'm like, okay, do I want to like sit in this for a little bit? And maybe I do, but for the most part, if I can't get out of it, then you know, I utilize one of my tools. Or I, you know, check in, am I hungry? Am I, am I tired? And then if I am one of those things, you know, the basic needs first. I try and take care of that. And maybe that changes something. And so I think really for me, Al-Anon is like the healthy coping skills my parents never taught me <laughs> that yeah, I have now right. learned <laughs> that I've now learned on, you know, with the help of, you know, this community and Al-Anon and the readings and my higher power. And and now with, you know, my husband, Derek, like still to this day, you know, he's still in recovery. He hasn't drank. So I mean, that's awesome. And he's, um, very dedicated as well, like to his program. And so I think it's, it's made our relationship so much stronger, um, because it's like, we have the same ideology now, like the same way of living, like almost like we go to the same church, but like, I know it's not the same church, but it's like, we have the same kind of roadmap for life. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of like check in with each other and, you know, there's been times where we've missed several meetings or he has, or I have given, you know, life. And it's like, Katie, we need to do a check-in right now. Like, and then he'll just kind of go in and, you know, or here or I will talk about the week and we'll just sit there in silence. And sometimes we say things, sometimes it's like, no, don't say anything. I'm just, <laughs> I couldn't get through a meeting. So just listen. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you do that and, and that, you know, helps us too. And, and so our relationship, you know, is much healthier. And, and I think now, like, before it was really a desperate need to save my relationship, you know, my uh, main motivation in going to El And now, well, after a while, I realized, okay, this is really about finding peace in my life because I didn't know what serenity was or peace. Now, <laughs> I would say I know serenity and peace much more than I know chaos (laughs) and even if I experience you know chaos or stuff with my mom because just to go back there for a second she's she's still the same you know like she's still she still drinks still lives in that place still lives off the government and you know she's seen my sister and I get healthy and I know it's inspired her and maybe in the most subtle ways she's kind of got a bit better but but not really, and so now I I really just use my tools and try to show her love and try to just not take on all that stuff now and just detach from her her craziness and her you know roller coaster and just show love to her. It's it's not easy that relationship at all for me, especially you know what I've learned. But I just try and take it one day at a time and do what I can to just love her and and uh, detach, I guess. So. Yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for for sharing all of your experience and strength and hope there. I always like to ask, what do you say to somebody who's new to Al-Anon or somebody who maybe isn't even there?
1: I guess for me, what I would say is, there's just a better way of life out there, and you don't. Really know it until you try, and I guess that the thing I've learned in Alanon is that, like, for me, my higher power speaks to me through other people, and higher power can be substituted for God or the universe or anything. And sometimes, if I get the urge or if I get the feeling of like I need to listen to this, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I. I just try and listen to that feeling. And I would say for someone who is new to Al-Anon or heard about it or possibly listens to the podcast and has this feeling, but doesn't know, I just know when, when I sat in those rooms and I heard certain things, I'm like, okay, I I need to be here. (laughs) And it's listening to that knowing that kept bringing me back. And um, I would just say, just listen to your true self and (laughs) you'll eventually get there.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I asked you to pick some music, which you were, like, right there with it. And uh, why don't you tell us about your first one?
1: Okay, so the first one, the artist is called Joshua Radden. It's funny because I just want to give a little blurb. When I was picking these songs, like, I'm actually not so much anymore, but I was, like, a pretty big music snob. Uh
0: You
1: know, I'm kind of, like... I don't listen to top 40 and I'm kind of an artist, but then I realize all the songs I chose, like Justin Bieber. And then like, you know, this is me from like the greatest showman. So like, they probably think that I'm not, don't listen to the music. I actually do. But for whatever reason, these songs really spoke to me. So I just had to say that.
0: And that's, that's what we're asking for here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, I I understand oh. that. I totally understand that feeling cuz you know, I yeah. I sometimes I pick these songs and I'm like, do I want to admit that I listen to this song but right? You know when the song speaks <laughs> to you, the song speaks to you, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And so it's like that ego around like <laughs> music genres and artists, but anyways, yep. it's true. Yeah, the song by Joshua Rodden is called Today. And the reason why I chose this song and to introduce it first is cuz Early on in my recovery, I wasn't working for a bit. I would kind of wake up in the morning and like clean my apartment. I had all these windows, and so the sun would shine through. and And I would listen to this song, and for whatever reason, the lyrics kind of while I was discovering what my higher power was and recreating my spirituality, there was always this this line that stuck out to me, and it was, "You look right through me." There was no one else. I sat beside you and became myself today. And I guess it's just that line of, I sat beside you and became myself. And I think that when I pray now or connect with my higher power at the time, and even now, I just like sit. And sometimes I just talk out loud about what's going on with me. And so the sitting beside you and becoming myself is a metaphor for that because I would just sit and talk. And so it was like, it was. That's how that resonated for me. That's cool. Yeah.
0: In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our lives this week. And, you know, you talked so much about yourself. I don't know if you have anything you're going to want to add, but I thought I'd throw in <laughs> a little bit about what's going on in my life, you know, the the ongoing soap opera Please do. or whatever, okay? <laughs> yes. um, uh, I was at at church on Sunday, and I work with the seventh grade, and we always, at the beginning of, of our hour or so together, we always check in and you know we call it different things we call it check in we call it joys and sorrows uh, i've i've heard it called roses and thorns which is a little funky but some kids are like man nothing much happened this week and uh, you know one girl was i had my first date this week it was cool you know <laughs> she wanted to start i mean she's like can we do joys and sorrows i'm like sure she's like i had my first date <laughs> and and we come around to me i'm like i, I, I don't know <laughs> like you know not much happened which is sort of true, sort of true. But thinking about recovery and thinking about, I, I think most of the recovery in this week was in meetings. Although, okay. So last time I said, one of the things that I'm looking forward to this year is I really want to recommit to physical health and spiritual health, uh, mental health, but physical in particular, because I kind of slacked last year after my, my surgery. And, and uh, I said, you know, I want to go to the gym or walk to work or something at least three times a week. And, And then I got sick. (laughs) I had a cold and I'm like, I do not feel like walking to work. I sure as heck don't feel like going to the gym. So I don't think I made three times that week. But one of the things that I have learned in this program is you can always start over, right? You can, you can always reset. You can always say, this is, this is the start of my day. This is the start of my week. And so when I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't make my three days. I failed. I'm going to stop. No. See, that's the point, right? I don't have to hit that place where it's like, Oh, I failed. No. Okay. I'm going to start counting from today. We're going to, you know, keep going. I went to the gym this morning and then I walked three flights of stairs up out of the parking garage and, you know, I felt good about it. Right. And my legs are not feeling good about it, but that's a separate issue. (laughs) I also, I think, I, I was listening to uh, Science Friday, which is an NPR show where they talk about science issues and and they had somebody on who was talking about the benefits of being fit and they weren't saying like exercise particular but they did a population study so they looked at a whole bunch of people and measured their fitness and I don't know what how, whatever way they measured it. And they found that between the least fit and the most fit in this group of people, it was like a five times difference in the rate of mortality. Wow. like five times like, okay, they're really, and it's like, you don't have to get out there and run a marathon. Okay. Like <laughs> just going from being totally unfit to a little bit fit is maybe a factor of two in, in, you know, your chance of dying or not dying, I guess, is more to the point, right? I'm like, okay, so here's some more evidence. This is my higher power speaking to me, saying, mm. keep doing this thing. Keep doing this thing. And one of my coworkers came mm. by and said, so are you going to do the 5K run again this year? I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. She's like, you really should, you know. You're going to do 10K this year? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do 10K. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not till June, okay? I can totally get back in shape by June. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> that's the health thing. Meetings, we had a meeting on Saturday was uh, step two, right? Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I thought about a thing that one of my friends who struggles with this whole higher power concept and we're, we're working some steps together and, and we're at step six where you have to like trust your higher power to be able to take your defects of character away so that you can become entirely ready. And my friend's sponsor said, "Look, your higher power could be anything. your higher power could be this tomato, which is sitting on the table in front of you. All you have to do is be able to give give over the things that you want to let go to whatever your higher power is and so <laughs> for for the Christmas holiday, one of our other friends got this friend a couple of plastic tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> And they're using it, right? It's like, yeah, I'm giving my defects of character to this freaking tomato. And it works. Oh, that's awesome. And then this morning, I was listening to a podcast called Sober Speak, which I think I've mentioned a couple times. And I was actually on it a a few months ago. Um, It's a guy who basically does what we're doing right now, mostly with alcoholics. The guy he had on the one I was listening to this morning is sort of the founder, I think, of a meeting they call it like the the agnostics us we agnostics is what they name their meeting after that chapter in the in the book because oh yeah he calls it a secular AA meeting so they don't pray um they don't talk about god they've i don't know exactly i mean and apparently now there's a pamphlet from AA called the god word hmm. it's experiences sharings from atheist and agnostic members of AA and i thought you know this is really interesting. And I'm going to like ask one of my AA friends, if maybe they can snag me a copy of that pamphlet, because I have so many people that I work with, whether, you know, sponsor them or, or we're working the steps together that really have a lot of trouble with the higher power concept. And, it, you know, sharing other people's experience around that, you know, could be helpful. Could be helpful. I mean, I go back and forth on this higher power thing. You've probably heard me talk about it in the podcast. Like, you know, today okay. I, today I have God and tomorrow it's like, I don't know, there's something out there in the universe and and I hear hear the voice through, through the people in the program. I'm comfortable with the word God these days, which I certainly wasn't when I got here. So, you know, that's progress. And then uh, Sunday meeting, uh, we had a bunch of newcomers. And so we, in that meeting, we do First Step, where we, we read the first step out of how al works. And then all of us who've been in the program for a while share a little bit about our experience. You know, we only got an hour, and so you can't go into a lot of detail in your five minutes or whatever you got. And maybe the newcomers say something, and maybe they don't. It's always helpful for me, even, you know, I hope that I say something that reaches the people who are coming to the meeting for the first time. Yeah it also reconnects me to where I was and why I'm still here. Yeah. And I never say all the things I want to say. Hmm. Uh, So that's my week. Um, Anything you want to highlight uh, that you didn't already say?
1: Um, no. Okay. All right. (laughs) No,
0: that is, that is perfectly understandable. So coming up, Eric will be joining me in the next episode. We're going to talk about, would you rather be right or happy? Which is always a great topic. I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where that was the topic
1: (laughs) i have
0: it's it's a question i have to ask myself not necessarily daily but frequently Mm -hmm. probably at least daily actually but i'd rather be right or happy (laughs) so we welcome your thoughts as usual you can join the conversation leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions and kate how can people send us feedback
1: you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or questions on any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know.
0: And our website, as mentioned, is therecovery.show, where we have all the information about the show. We have notes for each episode, links to the music we talk about. Uh, Almost always, I find a, a music video on YouTube. Links to some other recovery podcasts and websites. And I also, in the show notes for each episode, I will list the things we read. If we talked about something that we want to make a link to, I'll also put that in the show notes. So you can always go to the recovery.show slash 275 for this episode. When your second song here, you said Justin Bieber and here we are.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I found At least he's myself, Canadian. <laughs> I actually found myself listening to a Justin Bieber song the other day and liking it. And I was like, wow, what? <laughs> so, You know, you got to get past the image, right? It's so
1: true. (laughs) It's true. And at the end of the day, no matter how they're portrayed in the media, they're human beings, right? So
0: That is also true.
1: (laughs) Exactly. The song I chose is Life is Worth Living by Justin Bieber. This one kind of symbolizes how I got to Al-Anon. So basically, some of the lyrics are, ended up on a crossroad trying to figure out which way to go. It's like you're stuck on a treadmill running in the same place. And that image to me is like the insanity, right? The insanity of alcoholism, doing the same thing over and over, stuck on the treadmill, running in the same place. And, you know, we learn obviously about that. And so when I hear that, I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like the desperation where it's like you have your hazard lights on now, hoping that somebody will slow down, praying for a miracle. Had a couple dollars, a quarter tank of gas with a long journey ahead. You see a truck pull over. God sent an angel to help you out. He gave you direction, showed you how to read a map for the long journey ahead. And so for me, I'm like, well, that's kind of how it was for me. I, I got to al and they gave me this kind of road map. Or how to navigate you know my life ahead and if i choose to you know use this as my navigation then that's my choice and i do and so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
0: no i like that and and i like that image of you know you get a map and, and a journey and but you still have to you still have to take the journey yourself right exactly yes We've got some uh, some emails and a voicemail here. Anastasia writes with a request and a topic. Hi Spencer, thanks for the recovery show and for all the time you put into making your little podcast that helps so many people in huge ways around the world. I'm one of those people. I came to Al-Anon about seven years ago when I was living in a small city in the southern United States. In that city, there were daily meetings, newcomer specific meetings, men's groups, speaker meetings, and in general, a large mix of people placing themselves quotes in a powerful stream flowing toward good as a reading on step two encouraged the change says not long after joining I started working with a sponsor and practicing the steps with her guidance in my darkest times I sometimes got through the week just by going to a meeting every day I learned so much from all the recovery around me and inspired by others made a decision to work on my own recovery I've since moved four times and I no longer have a sponsor although I keep in touch with my previous Al-Anon community I look for a meeting wherever, I, whenever I relocate. At this moment, I live in a small city in an English-speaking country outside of the United States where there is not as strong of an Al-Anon presence. I am grateful that there is one weekly meeting here with a handful of regular members. I volunteer to chair the meeting when I can I am also involved in group service in the role as group rep. Yet, I find myself really struggling, triggered even, by what feels like very shallow recovery in this Al-Anon community." There is no practice of sponsorship here. Newcomers do attend the meeting every so often, but very rarely come back. Regular business meetings are not held. Members engage in crosstalk during meetings and occasionally gossip. I could go on, of course, but the group's shortcomings are not my problem, exactly. Or are they? How much of my home group's meeting health is my problem? However, I do know that my fixation with the group's shortcoming is my problem, and it's become an issue in my recovery. How can I work on accepting the reality of my Al-Anon community here without trying to change them into the al community I knew before? How can I practice recovery in all my affairs, even when the affair in question is my relationship with Al-Anon itself? I have been using the serenity prayer in my head whenever I catch myself grumbling mentally about the meeting or comparing its health to the health of other meetings. To that end, I suggested that the group hold regular business meetings and then suggested at one of these business meetings that we study the traditions. The group has decided not to do that. I want to respect the fact that this group has its own conscience, its own higher power, and that everyone in this meeting is on their own path to recovery. I'm working on changing my attitude and adjusting my expectations. Listening to recovery podcasts and reading Alan on literature on my own helps. Do you have any experience, strength, and hope around the intersection of meeting health and personal recovery health, around using your program in your relationship to the program outside of you? Perhaps this is something to consider for a future discussion topic. I would love to know what other members have done when they've encountered this sort of challenge in their own recovery. Love in anon service, Anastasia. And I think you're right, Anastasia. This is a huge topic. <laughs> sure. um, I will say, one of the meetings that I attend did not have regular business meetings and just sort of coasted along. We did, we did greet newcomers and 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 do a first step meeting when we had a newcomer, although some of the longtime members kind of grumbled about that. And recently, one of my friends joined the group and felt that this group needed some, some better health and said, you know, we should have business meetings. And what's interesting is the first few times we had it, the people who'd been there for a long time were like, I don't know why we're doing this. We don't need to do this. We're doing fine. But as we continued to meet, as we continued to talk about you know, what was happening in the meeting and what wasn't happening in the meeting and what we might like to do. The long timers who were at first kind of, you know, hesitant really started pitching in. And we did agree to try once a month doing a tradition study at one table. So it can happen. And sometimes it can't. I don't know. that. That's what I've got. Do you have any thoughts on this game?
1: <laughs> I kind of agree with you. I think that Honestly, I haven't had this exact experience. Although I did have one meeting that I was going to that all of a sudden it was the same sort of thing. Like there was a bunch of crosstalk that would happen before we would close the meetings. And I guess I was lucky because I decided, okay, I'm done with this meeting and I went to another one. Yeah. But I know that, you know, we're obviously Anastasia. She doesn't have that option. So I guess, yeah. you know, recommending the business meeting is a good idea. But at the end of the day, it's <laughs> the group does have their own conscience. So it's kind of like,
0: yeah. Yeah. I also think about a meeting that I attend when I'm traveling. Hmm. I go to this meeting because, you know, this is a place I visit regularly and I need a meeting when I'm there. And this meeting is at a time when I can go to it. Right. It's not an unhealthy meeting, but it's not the most healthy meeting that I've been to either. There's a lot of not exactly poor me, in some in some ways, there's more talk about the problem than the solution and, and the people who right. attend this meeting. And it gives me a place to go where I can get some Al-Anon. And one time I was in this place and I went to a different meeting and, and my wife goes with me when we're there because it's easier than trying to find two meetings, you know. And the other meeting that we came out of it, she said, that was a really healthy meeting. And she's she's not an Elanon, you know, regular, but she really saw the difference between the two meetings. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, but I need a meeting. That meeting's there. I'm going to go to it.
1: There's one thing I just thought to add. So I don't know if Anastasia knows this, but there's a Skype meeting online. My sponsor told me about this because she moved to like this really small remote Island on the West coast. And there was absolutely no meetings on this Island. And so, yeah, there's a Skype meeting. And it's every Sunday, 7 p.m. Europe time. And then I think it was 11 a.m. Mountain time for me. Basically, it's on the Al Anon, I think, website. And then I actually did it a couple times. Well, actually, a few times. It's every Sunday morning. It's a fantastic meeting. Like, there's people from all over the world. We all Skype in, it's very structured. Being able to go do a meeting on my computer, you know, if I'm too sick to, or the roads are really bad and I can't leave my house, that has been an awesome resource. And now, you know, my uh, sponsor moved back to a main large city, but that is still one of her regular uh, meetings because she just absolutely loves it. So that's another option.
0: <laughs> if you can find that and send me a link. I can put that in the, in the web page. Uh,
1: yeah, I'll send you Thank
0: link. you. Appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's a great idea. There are online meetings, and, and that is an option. I should have thought of that. <laughs> Let's see. Tara's got a long letter here. She says, hello, Spencer, and happy new year. I wanted to write for two reasons. One, to thank you for the work you do, and two, suggest a topic and offer to be a co-host. Well, I thank you for that, Tara. Please know that I am truly grateful to you, your show, and all those who participate. I found your podcast when I was searching for anything alanon related that I could listen to on a regular basis to help keep recovery on my mind versus all my isms. Your show has done that and much more. I hear so much in each episode. I often find myself pausing throughout an episode so I can write down the poignant and relevant thoughts to my current situation in recovery. I love that these phrases and thoughts are now tools of my recovery that I can turn to anytime along with your show. What a gift you provide. What a blessing. You have my sincerest thanks and gratitude. Well, thank you so much for that, Tara. That's why we keep going. You know, that is absolutely why we keep going. Now on to the second reason for my email. I'm very new to the Al-Anon and my journey to recovery. I had gone to meetings here and there over the past two years or so, but finally committed to the program in August 2018 when my life had clearly become unmanageable. Although it's only been five months, wow, has it been quite the journey. How do I describe this life altering experience in words? It's been a painful awakening as I've come to understand just how much this disease has affected me and all of the isms I have developed as a result. However painful it has been, there's come a newfound peace liberation and power. As I understand this disease and my part in the destruction of my relationship with one of my qualifiers, where there was despair, there is no hope where there was sadness. There is no genuine happiness. I could go on and on. <laughs> Getting to the point, I am moved to tears when I think about what this program has given me already and endless gifts it has yet in store. As a newcomer, I surrendered to the program. I listened, followed advice, found a sponsor, and have worked the program to the best of my abilities, and it has paid off in spades. So I'd like to propose the topic be dedicated to newcomers and those getting started in the program. I am so grateful for Illinois and your show and other tools that have been the key to my newfound recovery, and I would love the opportunity to share my experience with others who are beginning theirs. Please let me know if this is a topic you would like to explore. Your grateful fellow, Elena and Tara. I think, you know, I think somebody else wrote in recently with a, a similar suggestion. And and I've been thinking about this. You know, I, I tend to bring people on as co-hosts who've been in the program for a while. But, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you know, the experience of somebody who's been in the program five or six months and is really, you know, sort of fresh in that discovery and wonder phase of, of recovery and not to say that we don't get discovery and wonder throughout, but it, you know, when it's brand new, it's, it's, there's, there's something about it. Um, it might be, might be great to bring that kind of experience in. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that it's funny because I was somewhat of a newcomer, kind of not really just, ish new to the to Anon. and i wanted to get up and and i wanted to share some things in my story and i talked to my sponsor about it and she said you know what it doesn't matter how long you've been in the program how long you haven't you and everyone can learn something from someone and sometimes we can learn so many things from newcomers you know that (laughs) we wouldn't think to learn because maybe they're a newcomer whatever right I like that. It's, it's
0: like the same thing. We can learn from Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We can. We can. Okay. All right. Karen asked about something she heard in an episode. She writes, so thankful for this podcast to listen to on my 45-minute commute to and from work. I'm trying to find the program where you talked about and included a list of responses that could diffuse a situation. It was simple sayings like, I hear you. Wow, that's interesting. I can't think of a good search term to find the episode so I can work on these sayings. If you remember it, thank you. Blessings to you in 2019, Karen. And I think what she's referring to here is the list of neutral responses that Eric read from, and it was in episode 249 Force and Power. He sent me a photo of this piece of paper that he had. Okay. That's how high tech we are here. And you can find that photo at the bottom of the show notes at therecovery.show/slash 249 neutral responses that would be the i think that i think that's what i ended up remembering to search for and i found it i got a voicemail from julie
2: hi spencer this is julie in california i listened to the episode on denial and acceptance thank you again for a wonderful topic and your honesty wisdom and hope I have gone through recently something that I can totally relate to the topic and I really appreciated what you and the guest host said. So I recently had major surgery uh, four weeks ago. I had this medical issue for a couple of years and it started out mild and gradually it got worse. And all of the non-invasive treatments that I tried didn't work. And the symptoms were getting worse. And I was in denial for months about needing the surgery because I was afraid of having a major surgery. I had never had one in my life. And I am a single mother to a 10-year-old boy. And I didn't know I was afraid who was going to care for my son while I had a surgery and was recovering. So I put up with the symptoms which were causing great distress on my body until through prayer and meditation and really talking with my sponsor. My sponsor, uh, my higher power talks to me through my sponsor all the time. And what she let me know was that I need to put myself first. And to me, that's what Alanon is all about, getting to know myself and loving myself, doing self-care to the best of my ab- ability. And she also let me know that once I put myself first, everything else will fall into place, that my higher will do for me what I cannot do for myself. So when I really came to acceptance in my heart with that and made the decision to have the surgery, everything really did fall into place. I had emailed my doctor because finally I was ready. And she had told me a few months prior that December was a very busy time for surgeries, that it was going to be nearly impossible to schedule one. But when I emailed her, she had a cancellation in the beginning of December. I get two weeks off the last two weeks of the year off because of my job. I only had to take a total of three weeks off instead of five because of the timing of the surgery. And as soon as I started telling people around me that I was having this surgery, People signed up first stuff without me asking. My sister came and stayed with me for the week and helped take care of my son and looked after me. And my sponsor signed me up on a website for people to bring meals. And then even more people asked to bring me meals and do things for me. People took me grocery shopping after I I recovered some but couldn't really lift or carry anything, these wonderful things happened. My higher power totally took care of me. And once I got to that place of acceptance, I had so much peace. And I was not afraid of the surgery anymore, because I knew no matter what the outcome was, I was going to be okay. And I went into this surgery amazingly, people would ask me, a few days before leading up to the surgery, Julie, are you afraid? And I could honestly say no and mean it. And everything just turned out wonderful. So I am so thankful. God showed me again how much I am loved. And I also actually could totally relate to your story of going to the coffee shop and having the pain later because I had a couple of in instances where, so my ism kicked in after the surgery and I had a plan of what my recovery was going to look like, that I was going to start walking the block the following week and maybe go back to the gym and whatnot and do small things, little things um, around the house and maybe run errands. So two weeks after my surgery, I did a couple of those things, and guess what? I didn't listen to my body. So at the end of the day, I was in pain. I was extremely exhausted, where I regretted overdoing it. So thank you for being honest. It's so it feels so good to know that I'm not alone when I felt stupid for making these mistakes. Thank you. Um, your show is it puts a different light in my life. It totally helps me between meetings and I learn new tools and I get reminded of the old tools um, that I got, but maybe forgotten about and they've gotten a little bit dusty. So thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Julie. She,
0: she wrote about in her subject from her email, she said it was about episode 253 on denial and acceptance and a, I, I do remember having this experience of pushing myself too far after my surgery. Then, and, and uh, you know, that's why we tell our stories, right? Because we know that other people will connect with them. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Madness, Metal, Susan, Catherine, Sharon, and Mary did. We've put together a list of recovery-related books, which I have to say is getting a little bit out of date. And actually, speaking of the books, one of the people who wrote, that I'll be reading the full letter probably in the next episode, mentioned that the the book um, Beautiful Boy and the follow-up book that I can't remember the title of has been made into a movie, which apparently is only on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I've heard of it. Nominated for, I don't know, Golden Globe or something, I guess. Yeah, Best Actor. Okay, you're more aware of it than I am anyway. <laughs> I got Amazon Prime. I'm like, I'm going to have to watch this thing, although it's probably going to like tear me apart just like the book did. But anyway, that book and others are available on our books page. And if you order a book from Amazon through the website, we do receive a small commission. It helps to keep us going and it doesn't cost you anything more. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, which actually is a wonderful way to both You know, support your friends and the podcast. Simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening. We are here for you. And you got one more song for us.
1: (laughs) Okay. Last song, which you may know from the latest movie, The Greatest Showman on Earth. (laughs) So it's called This Is Me by Kiela Settle. Anyways, um, when I heard the song, some of the lyrics are, I'm not a stranger to the dark. this song to me really is just really inspiring and you know, I'm not a stranger to the dark. I don't think many of us are. Mm -hmm. I've had some really difficult moments and broken pieces of myself and just hard times in my life. And when I hear this song, it's like, yeah, I am like a culmination of many different experiences and this is me. And and I think being in the program has taught me to just like um, Julie said, it's just the acceptance, right? Like I accept those now, I'm not afraid of them. And so, this is me and all my glory of <laughs> Aladdin. And before Aladdin, it's just my journey. So, yeah.
0: Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.